Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome to my show, Into the Mind, with me, Eddie Ross, where we will be covering positivity, motivation, and mental health. Make sure you click subscribe. You can also follow my page on Instagram, at Into the Mind One. Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome back to the show, Into the Mind, with me, Eddie Ross. Now, I have a very special guest with me today. We have Ryan Ridgway. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm good, thank you. I'll pay you for that kind introduction, special guest. Thanks very much. <laughs> you can have that all over your page. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, we've got you in today because I've wanted you in for a while now. Finally got there due to the COVID, so now we're back in the studio, which is great. But with your story, your story is actually quite fascinating, how that you're a fighter you've suffered with mental health, you've come out with the fact that you've suffered with mental health, you have an addiction you're recovering from now, which is absolutely incredible. So we just want to kind of dissect as into, first of all, the industry with mental health, with what you do. So how is it perceived at the moment? Is it kind of like a, is it frowned upon for fighters to talk about their issues that they have at home or what's going on with inside them? It's not frowned upon. But it's certainly a group that we see less honest mental health conversation. You know, it's supposedly seen as this alpha male environment, whatever that is. And and this group that, you know, are really strong and, and externally maybe present that. So it's mm. it's less likely that a, a fighter would come out and say, you know, I'm okay with crying, you know, being upset, anxious, worried. So I wouldn't say it's frowned upon necessarily, but um it's something I like to encourage because if you've got thoughts, feelings, emotions and behaviours, then it doesn't matter what you do, cage fighter, boxer or ballet dancer, it really does not matter. Yeah. It's okay to come forward and talk. Yeah. Do you think that the fighting industry kind of affected your mental health in a way? Do you think it made a bit of a negative impact? Because you almost have to be, well, let's face it, like aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I think I've seen a trend with fighters, with all the people I've known over the years at gyms, where people are fighting for a reason they've they found it yeah maybe they're struggling with something maybe there's it's a coping strategy but when you when you think about it in the most basic terms why would you want to go and get punched in the face for fun and have that you know using that to someone else so often with fighters there's there's some story some journey that sits behind it that's led them to that part of mine was you know being bullied okay being bullied that's never gonna happen again let me make sure it doesn't mitigate the risk of that by becoming this supposedly strong tough uh, character that that fights yeah i was gonna say having a look at your actual instagram page and seeing you now in person you're a lot bigger than me so <laughs> we're gonna do a loving kind of podcast not not an abusive one i'm not gonna dig at you in, oh, at any i'm time. a lover not a fighter now. <laughs> <laughs> Love and not fire. That's that's great. Seeing as it's just me and you in the room now. <laughs> <laughs> so your addiction. Mm. Let's go through that a little bit more because I'm a recovering addict as well. So when did it start? What happened? When did the recovery start? When did the addiction start? The addiction started, uh, I'd say, around the age of nineteen twenty. Uh, a first holiday to Ibiza. Uh, I hadn't really done anything drugs alcohol smoking didn't really interest me because of the fighting it was yeah. a, like a healthy thing to do almost frowned upon it yeah you had to live the healthy lifestyle really with all the diets and i'm surprised they actually was okay with you going to ibiza yeah that's it and then uh, you know got introduced to this party lifestyle my eyes were opened and i, I was really naive towards you know drugs pills cocaine and uh, that was supposed to be a two-week holiday yeah. And I just didn't get the flight back. I stayed two, for four two weeks. Months. It was supposed to be what? a two-week holiday with the lads. I got to the airport and I went, I'm not coming home. I'm staying. Why would I want to leave this, all this, this magical party island? Wow. Yeah. And I uh, got my mum to sell my apartment in Bournemouth, wire the money over, and, and didn't work a single day. Uh, you can wow. imagine the, the mess that I got. So, how long was you there for? Four months, the entire four season. Four months? Just, yeah. just partying four months? Yeah, sadly. Uh, and, you know, I had the repercussions of that. Four months Jesus. every day partying. And I just found this amazing thing, or so I thought, and I embraced it wholeheartedly. So I think that shows an addictive behaviour in itself. You know, the two weeks wasn't enough. I was like, right, yeah. more and more and more. And, you know, I could have stayed for three years. I wouldn't have been satisfied. That's the yeah. addictive nature of... What I've been, uh, what I've been going through. Yeah, it's, it's a bit similar to me because I went to Vegas 
when I was actually into all the drugs and the alcohol, which was probably the worst place I could have gone to <laughs> when I have these problems going on. But even still, with that, I was there for a week and I just didn't want to leave at all because it was the party haven and it was the, the life and soul of what actually lived within you. Like, your demon side came out and it did not want to go back. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's okay over there. It's normalised. Yeah. It's usualised. And, you know, Vegas is Ibiza on steroids. That's a whole yeah. other level because I've been there also as an addict. And, uh, yeah, it, when everyone else is doing it and it just feels so, so normal, so accepted, you, know, yeah. you embrace it and you go at it and everyone's trying to kind of outdo each other, party harder. And, uh, yeah, it's not a great place for someone with addiction. Do you think that you're... Do you think it was like a self-destructive kind of nature when you was out in Ibiza? Was there something that was actually going on like self-consciously that you wasn't really aware of that you needed to hide and mask with all the partying and the and whatnot you're putting inside your body? Yeah, I mean it was a uh, it was it was something I found to be a coping strategy. You know, I was struggling with my mental health from the age of twelve, um, but you know, I'm forty. Back, back then, no one had really heard of mental health, anxiety, let alone obsessive compulsive disorder, which is my diagnosis. So I found that when I did alcohol or drugs, it gave me that temporary escape from reality, mm. that release, that happiness, that clarity. And then when I wasn't using, you know, I couldn't spend time on my own, couldn't relax, couldn't, didn't want to spend time in my own head. So yeah. it, was, it gave me that kind of peace temporarily. But then, you know, you come away from the drugs and alcohol and things get louder and worse. So it was a yeah. vicious circle. Yeah, that's, that's very similar to mine because mine, what happened was I split up with my first love and then my nan passed away about two weeks after. And I hadn't actually dealt with a death in the family properly before anyway. So this was all so new to me that in the end, I kind of went on a self-destruct with just a drinking and then the drinking wasn't enough. So then you turn to drugs just to mask that. And people then, when they're taking it, they just look so much different. They just look more upbeat and you feel more upbeat and you're just so much happier. But really, it's, it's what, masking it for a couple of hours? And then you need it again to mask it again. And it's just an endless cycle. And like uh, what you said before we actually started recording, is there is such a thing as come down, which is, oh my God, it is awful. So that's how you spiral out of control, isn't it? Then you yeah. need some more to get out of the come down. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry to hear that was part of your, your journey. You can see why, you know, through through a traumatic life event, you know, losing someone close to you, you'd be like, I need some some relief, some comfort. I need to, to find something that gives me that space. And uh, and yeah, the come down. No one had explained to me what a come down was. No. I hadn't even heard of it when I went to Ibiza. You know, no one had said, you know, you're partying pretty hard. Do you want to rein it in? You want to be aware of these downsides. So yeah. when I got back to the UK after four months, you know, about three stone lighter, and uh, I started to feel really bad. I started to feel really shit. I was like, what's going on? Am I missing the sunshine? Is it because I'm back in the UK? It's raining. No, it was four months of drugs and alcohol abuse. Yeah. So with your recovery now, how long have you been sober? 94 days today. Wow. Which doesn't that sound like wicked. a lot. No, that is wicked. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That is, it's... Like the, the first year is the hardest part. That's, right. that's what I felt it was. It was the hardest year because what... In my recovery stage, I had to isolate myself from all my friends and that kind of lifestyle because I had to then go to work and then come back. That was the only time I was allowed out the house because if I was around any of the guys, or even if they weren't doing it and they were just drinking, I had to then stop the alcohol to then stop the drugs because it comes hand in hand. It's like if you go out smoking but, but you're trying to quit, the last thing you want to do is go to a pub because everyone's having a fag whilst they're drinking. So it's the same kind of thing. It comes hand in hand. You have a couple of beers and then you want to call your dealer in. So it was, um, it's tough to, to isolate yourself. I had to do it for six months, just isolate myself completely from everyone. But that's really incredible, though. Nine your days, that's, oh, that's really good. Same with you. That must have been incredibly hard six months, you know, making those difficult decisions to cut people out of your life or limit contact or go into places that you previously enjoyed and loved. You know, that's a brave, brave step. But, um, yeah, thank you for that. 93 days, 93, 94, I forget. But the number has become redundant because that's the longest I've gone in 25 years. So yeah. it might as well be 900. I found this new, new piece, this new space of recovery. And I thought 
being sober um, was just getting used to being miserable, you know, getting used to yeah, just I couldn't have is. that fun now. But yeah. it's replaced with something better, which is life, which is how I suppose um, everyone else feels. Everyone who isn't an addict, you know, embrace life, conversation, meals, food, sensory experience. Now all of that means so much more because I'm not masking it with these these lenses of addiction. Yeah. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Because you feel like, well, especially I do as well, that I feel like I'm missing out on stuff. So it's like if we go to, if, if I'm with the guys and, you know, I can go out with one or two of them, I can't go out with all of them. Because if I go out with all of them, it gets messy. And it gets messy real quick. And, you know, I can't sit here and preach to everyone being like, don't do what I do. You know, you need to live a healthy lifestyle. This isn't good for you because it's not, it's not my life. It's, it's theirs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've done my bit, but I can't tell everyone else how to live so then when you know if, if we go out to the pub or something like that and there's I, I can see they're very secretive and I can see that that they're trying to hide whatever it is that they've got on them and then but after a couple of drinks it gets passed around like a deck of cards and that, that's that's, the, that's <laughs> yeah. when it's my cue to leave then and I'm like okay yeah I can't do this anymore it's just the agitation is still there yeah it's good you recognize that like so a few drinks in and then that you know the bag comes out the car keys start getting passed around and people yeah. are less I don't know respective or secretive and um it's good you recognize that's the time that like, I've had a night out I've, I've socialized I've seen my friends but now's the time to yeah. remove myself from this situation you don't have much cheaper it is now now that you're sober do you actually realize that you've got a bit more more money oh, coming in so much so like you'd always make those allowances for buying drugs now yeah you'd always find it from somewhere and until i, I stopped you know it mortifies me to think how much money i must have spent yeah, yeah I'm, I'm what i used know. to do is get my wages and then every day take like three four hundred pound out the account so all i had was cash so then that meant that i wasn't paying for my car I wasn't paying for my car insurance. I wasn't paying for any other bills because that was money wasted that I could have spent on drugs. Right, got you. Yeah, so, so then yeah. I'd, I'd take it all out. But then in that cost, I then lost my car. Then that meant then I lost my insurance. And then so I had to get family to bail me out with the price of the, the car because it was get, getting taken away. Um, so I, in the end, I was almost going to go to court for the fact of unpaid bills. Wow. So I had, lucky enough, I had family that was going to bail me out. Yeah. But still, at the same time, I just said to them that I couldn't afford it. Didn't tell them that I had a problem. Yeah, yeah. We get good at hiding it, don't we? Oh, we yeah, get, We get sneaky as addicts. We can, we can hide it, we can manipulate it, and, and almost feel okay with that. You know, what? Yeah. why shouldn't I do this? Everyone has a good time. I want to yeah. unwind and decompress. And, you know, I've worked hard all week. You, your, your addiction will tell you lies. It's the only disease I know about that will... Well, tell you you're doing okay and keep going. Yeah, like when I had cancer. You're doing fine. Yeah, that's it. You're doing fine. Keep going. You're all right. You deserve this. But I had cancer, and uh, you know that wouldn't say, "Oh, you're doing all right, Ryan." You know, he's fine. Yeah. You're aware of, but your addiction. I'd be like, "No, nah, you're not as bad as that person." There's always a front runner. There's always someone yeah. that's worse off. When yeah, you get that bad, there's a but. There's a but after yeah. every time you think about it, and you know you could be something like, um, "Oh, I, sh- I sh- probably shouldn't go out tonight," mm, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i love that you're right but i'll go out on my own i'll meet someone <laughs> yeah absolutely I, you know that one of the most um terrible lies i'd tell myself is you know if you get some tonight as long as you're in bed for 12 o'clock you know as long as you stop doing it maybe 12 one o'clock you'll be all right gets to one o'clock ah, two o'clock you know, need five hours sleep yeah. suddenly it's 6 a.m and you're like i've done it again i've yeah. done it again i forgot that up again yeah, I fucked it completely <laughs> i completely forgot the chaos i caused the last time i did this or the previous 100 times yeah and my mind has said it'd be different this time you will be in bed by one o'clock you will sleep straight away which happens never on cocaine no, no. ever and suddenly your whole you know next few days is ruined you're letting people down you're cancelling plans and you're just feeling horrific so yeah that was one of my main things is that after i kind of got to a place where i was not happy but content with myself after the kind of recovery um is that all the stuff that i did that was wrong not to me to other people that was the hardest part yeah. was then going around and apologizing for this and that and that, that people had no idea what I'd done, you know, but, but I knew what I'd done, Yeah. but it was behind their backs. So 
for stuff. Yeah. And it's like people um, used to say to me when I came out as an addict and stuff and I had to isolate from people, people would then go to me, well, you didn't really have a problem. You just came out with us and, you know, you done it on the weekends. I'm like, that's what you saw. Yeah, that's the bit I showed you. Yeah, yeah. You, did, you didn't see Monday to Friday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and again, you think, you know, as long as I can function and go to work and, and kind of be be there and be present, then is it that bad? You know, is yeah. it doing it Monday to Friday, then the weekend with the lads? And yeah. you kind of justify it again. And you but, become into a functioning addict. And then yeah. a functioning addict means that you're fine. You're yeah. doing all right. Yeah, you're doing okay. For me, I really think it became a huge problem or a bigger problem. Maybe like took a turn is when it went from social too isolated mm. so i didn't want to do it with people anymore even mates i didn't want to have people talking at me 100 miles an hour i'd want to come away you know go to a hotel room on my own and do it on my own and that's yeah. when i thought mm, now this has took a whole whole new turn it's a whole new beast now because yeah. i'm doing it socially and then in isolation and and that's you know i mean none of it's healthy but sitting on your own doing it really it's it's sad it is sad because yeah. i used to do it all day, especially if you're after a night out and you've done what you've needed to do on your night out you've said goodbye to everyone and you're like right before i go home i need to pick up yes because i need yeah. to carry on going otherwise i'm just going to feel shit in bed yeah yeah and like you said by that time it's six o'clock in the morning you need to get back up ready for work yeah and you just fuck you just fucked it again yeah that's it and again. that's an endless cycle and then you need yes. it for work yeah, that's it. You need it to I've, function. I've, yeah, otherwise you can't you can't get on with with work and you can't get on with life. Like I was yeah. just struggling to even speak without it. So to just start stuttering and mumbling and stuff like that, I'd look worse off it than I was on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, hundred percent. I can relate to that. And um, you know, did you get to the point where you you, you do it and you couldn't speak? You just turn, you just withdrew completely. Yeah. Like I'd just sit there and think, I can't, I can't say anything. Yeah. It's like uh, mentally you've turned yourself inside out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of yeah. describing it. That's it's, it. Mentally you've turned yourself inside out. It's crazy. Oh. I really hated it. But at the same time, that's without stuff like that and without the things that, uh, that have happened. I mean, your page is really getting there with all your mental health stuff. I've seen you constantly online with other different podcasts and other different events. I know that we met through Human, that you was um, you then was an ambassador for them. I don't know how what's going on with them now with you, but um, there's so much now that's going on just because now that you've realised that you had a problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The opportunities that have come my way now have come out and put this out there because at first I was reluctant you know there's still a lot of stigma and judgment around addiction and yeah. professionally how would that present hang on you teach mental health first aid you teach people how to look after their mental health but then you've only just come out as a recovered addict so there must have been a crossover yeah another lie my addiction told me is if I'm an addict it makes me more relatable to teach mental health that isn't accurate whatsoever no. by the way I'm much better at my job now <laughs> but um but yeah, the opportunities, you realise, like with mental health, we're not alone. You know, no. no one's alone. This is a real problem. This is a real problem that people out there are struggling with in silence. So to break that stigma and judgment down by sharing our lived journey and experience, and that might prove to be someone else's survival guide, help them realise there's, you know, support available. And actually, this, you know, you don't need to suffer in silence. There's yeah. out there. You know, people live this path every day and with drug addiction it doesn't discriminate you know yeah. it's, it's, it's unforgiving it could be you could have a million pound in the bank could be a celebrity or you could be you know living um living on the street it doesn't it doesn't matter like yeah, I mean, look, look at all the, the celebrities that have od'd yeah. and that have died due to to the drugs and the suicide and stuff like that it it doesn't it, it just comes to whoever it is yeah it's an aggressive an aggressive thing yeah but um with that obviously how how with your fighting now? Are you still fighting? I am. Because, um, of, because of the recovery stage, do you find it different? I do find it different in a number of ways. So I turned 40, 3rd of January, and that's when I um, I was walking the streets, uh, suicidal, 40th birthday. How miserable is that? Yeah. Off the off the end of a you know two-day session. And then that's when I found my sponsor and my journey began. Um, but... Yeah, fighting for me now, I feel I've got more energy. Of course, I'm healthier. I'm not yeah. using drugs or alcohol. All the fights I've had previously, you know, I'd have been during fight camp, using, trying to limit it because I'm training for a fight, but then you'd get drawn into that party and you'd end up on it again and I'll miss training for a few days. Would you not get drug tested? No, 
No, you don't. You don't professionally in the UK, maybe for big promotions, because I'm not, you know, I've only had three fights. I, yeah. I'm a fighter and I love it. Uh, I've had two pro MMA fights and a, and a charity boxing match. And then I've got a fight coming up that I'll, I'll tell you about in a sec. But no, you don't get tested for steroids. Uh, That's mad. Cocaine, That's anything like that. In well, bigger promotions, I'm yeah. sure you do. I but. but even still in like the lower levels, it's mm. still an aggressive sport. Yeah. So you should really t- take in the fact that consideration of people might be on yeah. s- stuff like steroids for enhancements and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. They do the health checks, you know, blood pressure, heart rate on the day of the, the fight and stuff to make sure the fighter's healthy enough physically to fight. On the day of the fight, the, the only fight, time yeah. they check. That's it, yeah, your anxiety's <laughs> through the roof. But yeah. Anyway, every time I have my blood pressure done, they're like, you're about ready to have a heart attack. I'm not, I'm just nervous. Like, yeah. let, me, let me walk around the car park for a minute and have a few deep breaths and we'll, we'll be good to go. But but it's took on a whole new meaning now. So I feel like I've got a new lease of life with fighting. Um, but I'm not fighting from an angry place anymore. So when right. I was an addict, I was angry. I was wound up. I was agitated, restless, discontent. Mm. Now I'm at peace. So I'm like, how do I fight now? What's my, what's my driving factor? Yeah. Uh, so I'm still kind of working that out ahead of my next fight, July 31st at Birmingham City Football Club. It's boxing. It's a mental health event where all the money is going to mental health charities. So Wicked. that's my driver. Now. Yeah. But I, I probably just want to get in there and not hug the guy for a couple yeah. of minutes. I'm not, yeah. I, don't, I don't hate it's on life okay. anymore. How am I, how am I going to I'm going to punch you in the face. I'm not angry at myself and the world anymore. So... It's working that stuff out, but um, but hey, it's it's all good. It's part of the journey, right? Yeah. So with your, um, are you in a twelve-step recovery? I am. Yeah, I wanted to ask you this because I I went to a couple of CA classes and a couple of AA classes, and I must admit it wasn't for me. Mm. I then I I kind of saw it as I mean you know everyone's different in their recovery stage. Whatever works for everyone else, it didn't really work for me. Um, I found it almost a bit depressing. Mm. when I went and because uh, when I did it was a numerous of people that was going oh I relapsed the other day and I did this the other day and then someone else goes I'm a week sober and everyone applauds which was a nice bit and then you go back to someone else who had relapsed and it's like yeah. oh I don't know yeah. if this is the kind of place for me so um but what I said in one of my other um videos on my page was that you know I took I done three different um therapists before I found the right one for me. Right. So I had one that would um, that got me off the drugs, um, two that didn't really do anything for me, and then the three, the, the other one was the basically the recovering of my mental state after. Yeah. About why, um, how I feel bad all the time, and why this has now affected me if like an anxiety and depression level had, how tough it is getting back into the real world. Yeah sober yeah absolutely that transition that that i think that's the hardest part is actually going back into the real world after you've been high for so long yeah that it's just completely different it's overwhelming and it's scary yeah that's it you've been living in self for so yeah. long you know in, in this different kind of character that is the person and uh addiction and the grips of addiction and now you're going back into that world same environment same friendship groups yeah as a different person almost. Yeah, you removed. are. You're a completely different yeah. person. And it, you almost, I, I don't know about you, but I almost felt a bit small and a bit timid and a bit scared. Like I didn't really want to go to these places. I didn't want to go to the pub. Yeah. Because it was a bit frightening. And I didn't want to go and do this. I didn't want to date other people and and stuff. But that's my self-doubt of because of who I was. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of think about everyone's perception of you as well yeah you do you're reevaluating everything in yeah. your life and um and yeah some of those feelings that, that come through some of those thoughts like they say the best thing about recovery is you feel everything mm. they also say the worst thing about recovery is you feel everything yeah. so my emotions have come flooding back yeah, <laughs> yeah i felt like i had no i was completely numb i had no emotion at all yeah. and you know i was i was with um my ex-girlfriend for two years and you know i put her through a lot with my addiction and you know, um, I, I can't blame anyone else but me for, for mm. what I'd, I'd done with that. But at the same time, we split up and it just was like, it was just like a Tuesday. It was like, okay, cool. No worries. See you later. Yeah. Like, no emotion. This was someone who lived with me for two years. Yeah, yeah. And it was just completely cut off and it was fine. It was just like, right, okay, no worries. Anyone else would be devastated. Yeah, 
that's what we do, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want the risk of feeling anything. So let me just call it on. Let me just get yeah. a bag in and, and you know, put a put a sticky plaster over it for a little bit. Let me paper over the cracks for a bit longer. Yeah. Until it kind of just fades into history and you think, well, I didn't really get upset, but I'm all right now. Yeah, I'm fine now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, totally, totally get that. But with um obviously that as well, it's like I said, the perception of people is that I'm bad for it as well. Is that before my addiction and you saw people who was an addict, either on the telly, films, out on the street, um, you would have this kind of thing of, what a loser, or how shameful, wonder what your parents think, blah, blah. Yeah. And until you're actually in that position, and like like we were, we were functioning addicts, we didn't look as bad as these people on the streets, so it felt okay to do it. Yeah. But after then, we were clean. I just feel so disgusting yeah. with what I must have looked like or what I must have been around to be like one of my best friends she said to me because um, I actually met her out and about in the clubs and didn't speak to her like almost forgot who she was and now that we've reconnected and uh, she told me that she'd actually met me a few times and I said no you haven't and she goes yeah we've no met way. a couple of times out and I was like oh okay all right, all right. Well, what was I like she went an arrogant piece of shit Oh really? Just because, just <laughs> Gotta appreciate I, her honesty. Yeah, because I was on drugs all the time. It does. It just changes your whole behaviour. But now, obviously, looking back at it, yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it is. Like you said about going back and making them amends and reaching out to people and explaining. And some weren't aware, and then some people like that, that girl shared, you know, what you were like when she met you. Some people must have been very aware. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my amends um, was reaching out to an old business partner. You know, I'm really lucky. She was like my mental health mentor. She came top five in the country for mental health nursing. And we started a business in mental health. And really? things just got distant and I couldn't work out why. I was like, what's going on? You know, if I'd said something, have I done something? But, you know, the arrogance in me at the time, I just cut them out, cut yeah, out my life. They're not going to, yeah, exactly, exactly that. And then I made an amend to her, which she kindly received. And um, she knew. That's why she distanced herself because she knew what I was involved in. And fair yeah. play to her. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you distance yourself yeah. from a business partner who was an addict? You'd be like, this isn't a good business yeah. for one. <laughs> Morally, it doesn't, doesn't sit right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I thought I hid it really well. And from some people I did. And then some people who were a bit closer or more knowledgeable, they um, fully aware. Yeah. I mean, I saw a picture actually on Instagram and it was off, a, it was like a picture of a guy who was obviously clearly on drugs and there was someone else filming him laughing. Mm. Now, admittedly, I can see how this was funny at the time with whoever it is. But then inside, you don't know what that person is going through to, for the reason to take the drugs. I was the, the laughing show of, of the, the group. You know, I was always the life and soul of the party because I was yeah. always the one who was on something. Yeah. You know, yeah. so you do grab the attention of other people, but... Even still, if I look back at videos and I look back at photos, I think, fucking hell, who is that? Yeah, it looks like yeah. Gollum. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. You look different, don't yeah, you? It's like it's... Your, your eyes, your soul, the energy you're giving off, everything. Yeah. Not just a physical appearance thing. It's like that that kind of grey, sweaty, gaunt-like, yeah. soulless appearance where you think, yeah, the, I was on drugs there. You could tell. And then yeah. you get into recovery and it's like you just light back up. You know, your, your eyes get brighter and you just, I don't know, something happens spiritual energy your soul whatever you want to capture it as just lights back up yeah but what would you say obviously with the addicts term which is let's face it, it's a bit untrustworthy when you're an addict and stuff like that how would you start to get rid of that stigma rather than let's get them help rather than let's get rid of them I think it's having that level of understanding, isn't it? You know, people are quick to judge with addicts and, and, mm. and say things like, oh, they're not trustworthy, they're this, they're that. And people will point the finger unless they've lived that path themselves and understand that there's probably some struggle or trauma or reason that person's found drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism. So it's this honest conversation we now have about mental health and addiction to help people who haven't gone down those routes that, you know, we don't choose to be arrogant untrustworthy whatever you might brand an addict as. Yeah. there's a story that's there's a person behind that there's a person behind that and they've 
found addiction, sadly. Yeah, because like taking drugs is a choice, yeah. but addiction is a disease. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, absolutely. it's that transition of, you know, just a little bit of, of a use to then needing it to, to wake up and get moving that it's it's difficult for people, even still now I find that I'm in recovery, that if I tell people that I'm a recovering addict, then I kind of get looked at a bit slightly differently or, you know, the conversation might just stop. Because especially if I'm out and about, you know, say if I'm at a bar or something and I go and go to the bar and there's a nice looking girl there and I start chatting and go, oh, why aren't you drinking? And I say, because oh, I'm in recovery. It's, oh, okay, lovely. See you later. Yeah, that's it. The door can close, can't it? Yeah. They straight away probably think, oh, my days, heroin. He's robbed his gran. Yeah. You know, all this stuff. <laughs> he's none savings. He's <laughs> yeah, that's it. He sold a telly for some crack. Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe I won't have a drink with you yeah. or move on. But, yeah, it's got that association, hasn't it? Yeah, but the, the perceived of it is totally different to what it actually is a lot of the time. You know, it's, yeah, I might be an addict, but you... I might be three years sober, and now I'm a totally better person. You've just yeah. shut the door on a better person. Yeah. So, what if if I was standing there drinking? Would I would I appeal to you a bit more? Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's difficult, but I think people don't know how to act around you sometimes. Yeah, as well. definitely. You know, like my my friends, bless them. You know, they're really respectful. You know, they're like, oh, we're having a beer. Is that okay? You know, they'll check in. And when you're in recovery. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. True recovery, you know. You can go wherever, back to Vegas or Ibiza. If you're solid in recovery, well, for me personally, it's my experience. It it wouldn't matter. You almost want to be around it. You want people to be themselves and be comfortable. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather people just be their normal selves yeah, with me. Yeah. Don't treat me any differently just because of this. That's it. And I mean, I'm going back to Ibiza in October. I booked some flights. How did that happen? I thought we're still in a pandemic. <laughs> I actually booked flights. Will they happen? Don't know. But I um I support a great organisation called We Are Hummingbird. And they will go into schools, uh, talk about mental health, and they'll use the funds they raise to buy musical instruments That's for school brilliant. children because they recognise the therapeutic power of music. Yeah. And they've got a lot of contacts with DJs and the clubs over in Ibiza. So I'm actually going over to Ibiza with them to talk about mental health. How incredible is You're that? You're going to like a, yeah. the party central to exactly. talk about mental health. And yeah. the world's changing. It That's... is. It is. Uh, you know, and I think it'd be well received because there's no yeah. judgment here. You know, I'm going to be talking to people who have been on it all season or, yeah, or exactly. if there is a season in Ibiza. But, you know, from understanding, you know, kindness, no judgment, having lived some of that myself, you can relate. You can start exploring this in a safe space with people who may or may not want to hear it. So yeah. it's, it's incredible to go over there. And I've been there 23 times. I've lived there for two seasons. And I don't think I've ever seen the island. I don't think I've ever seen It's a beautiful place. I've saw the inside of hotel rooms, dingy clubs, um, sweaty bars, which are great, by the way. But, you know, there's a beautiful beaches over there. Yeah. And, you know, by Beta Town and all these places I want to go now. And actually the first time see that magical place as uh, someone who's in recovery. see the nicer side of it yeah. when you're a nicer person. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. I mean, instead of going there going, well, look at the state of you. It's, it's more like, look how lovely this is. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, that's it. Amazing. That's like, Let's go back to um, twelve-step recovery. I'm interested to hear more about your journey with that. Yes, yeah, because mine wasn't a twelve-step recovery because I didn't do the AA. Yeah, so yeah, you, was, you withdrew from the groups because you didn't find it, yeah. was, you know, having a positive effect. So, so what it was was that um, my current therapist, who I use now still, she was the one who she was actually a recovering crack addict. And right. um, I crossed her path accidentally because I was just looking for different therapists in my area. Found her, didn't say anything about her past or what she specialised in. And we had our first session and I said to her, you know, that I've suffered with cocaine addiction and I'm finding it really hard to settle back into, into normal everyday life. Yeah. And she said, OK, well, I'm a recovering crack addict and I've been clean sober for seven years. I was like, boom, this is a person yeah, I need to yeah. talk to. We've got to connect. Yeah, because this is the person who can actually tell me, okay, in a year's time, you're going to experience this. And in six months' time, you're going to experience this. Yeah. And you're going to feel like this for a little bit. And that's what I needed. Yeah. And that's what now I give to other people on my page, is that instead of, you know, it's great therapy of, you know, I can never, ever knock therapy. Not every therapist is going to be right for you. So you have to keep going with that. But with... With mine, it was almost like a. She was telling me why I'm self-destructing, and almost twisting it. Yeah. It's, 
I must admit, she was very manipulative, right. but it was manipulating in the right way. Yeah, with kindness, it, yeah, for the right reason. It was, yeah, because it was telling me, well, why are you using it for this? So what's put you in that position in the first place? And then we're going more deeper into the, the reason why I first used. And, right, and to breaking that down. But what was more important to me was the fact that she told me that it wasn't my fault, that it wasn't anything to do with my behaviour. That's what drugs are. It's, I might have an addictive personality. Mm. You know, I, I could go to Newcastle and in four months' time come back with a Geordie accent. But <laughs> I'm that type of person. <clears throat> but um, that it wasn't actually my fault. And just dissecting that little bit of that, you know, there's so many other different avenues of why I actually used stuff that I didn't think about before. Mm, yeah. and, and that's then becomes what it is. But she always, almost told me that you need a reason why. And that was the biggest groundbreaking for me. So my reason why was for my little brother. Right. So at the time, he must have been about 14, 15 when I first started recovery. And he's going on 17 now. And he... Basically, I didn't want to, didn't want him to grow up like me. Right. Yeah, I didn't want him to, to be like me. Lead by example. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you, you want your big brother to be the role model, and I was not the role model. Mm. I was, you know, obviously going out partying every night, and he barely saw me because I'd get him from work and I was straight back out again. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, from someone who's going into secondary school, that can be quite a hard time, secondary school, for a lot of people. And I just wasn't there. And, you know, when you're starting getting all the suicidal thoughts your reason why is stronger than the suicide. Yeah. And your reason why is stronger than the addiction. And once you find that reason why, it can change your life. Yeah, yeah. It can be the concrete you build up from, can't it? Your, your recovery is built on this. I, I know why now. This is what I'm doing it for. Yeah. That's my reason. I mean, like with, with yourself, there must have been a bigger reason why to stop the drugs than just yourself. Because the drugs tell you that you're okay. So it must have been a third party or an outside reason to why you should stop. I think the reason why for me became, you know, I've been trying to quit for a while. You know, I mean, I managed 28 days reading Russell Brand's book on recovery, but I hadn't processed the steps. And, and it, every every day of those 28, it was, it was a struggle. You know, mm. it was like, if I get to 30 days, I've done really well. I've proved to myself and then I can maybe have a little party and use. But um, <laughs> yeah. I've always tried to I get away. I celebrate 28 yeah. days while getting a line. <laughs> Brilliant. That's, and that's exactly what happened, you know. I yeah. went 28 days, I went, oh, you've done really well. You know, it's a barbecue. Let's go for it. But those 28 days became redundant because I hit it hard than if I'd have just stayed yeah. on it. Yeah, because you had that break. You yeah. needed it even more. Yeah, you start, the, am I an addict? I've done 28 days. I'm doing all right. Here. Maybe yeah. I'm not. Maybe I'm not that bad. Boof, straight back in. Yeah. Um, but my reason why became life or death. I knew if I carried on down that path, then you know suicide was a certain thing. It was absolutely, it was, it was a fork in the road, pick A or B, live or, or, or die. Make some, yeah. make some big... Uh, life decisions you know like you did having to withdraw from certain people or places temporarily permanently and I completely uplifted my life moved to a different um really different town a different different household and uh chose to, to to move forward at the age of 40 rather than you know it just end up being yeah. the same old same old but I like what you said about finding the right therapist or counsellor because that was my experience of, of AA or CA is yeah. what I'm with. You know, I dipped into over the last six months different CA groups and I pretty much found what you found. You know, it's people sharing war stories. It was very like, oh, relapse and this and that. And then I found the right CA group. So I'm with one called CA Solution. And the whole purpose of our group that's on Zoom because of the pandemic is to share a message of hope and recovery to the still suffering addict. So we give yeah. a little bit of context of this is what I did when I was bad, you know, just to show that it was pretty fucking bad. You know, I was bad, but this is what I did and this is what I live now. So it's a very solution based approach, hence the name. And I found in that group as well, a lot of very, very relatable people. So my sponsor, um, God bless him. Uh, he's he's lived a, a journey. You know, I kind of saw his change over three years in social media. And at the start of that, I was one of the one of the doubters. Oh, I never fucking stay in recovery. He's fucking what? He's bang on it. He's bang on it. Do you know what I mean? It's not going to happen. Look and he, him. Yeah, look at him. recovery, whatever. And he just changed. 
gradually, you know, just lit up. And I reached out to him on my 40th, you know, walking the streets. He's one of the only people, the only person, in fact, that kindly reached back. And I said, look, I've got to fucking change this. I've got to do something. And because he'd lived a similar path to me, I respect him. Yeah, you know, I had a I had a sponsor before that, and I took the piss out of him. I, I rang him on the way to the dealer's house. You know, it's going to tell you what you want to hear, and I'm going to go and pick up. But this guy, my sponsor now, I knew I wouldn't. I've got that respect for him, and um, he's he's changed my life. He's not saved my life because I didn't want my old life back. It was shit, my last yeah. life. He's given me a whole new life with these twelve steps. Yeah. So new existence. Yeah, new existence. So. Um, I did my 12 steps as well in like two weeks. They're supposed to be done thoroughly, rigorously and quickly. They're not supposed yeah. to be dragged out over months where you're dipping in and out struggling. By doing the steps quickly and honestly, in this clear-cut direction for them, as it is in the book, that's when you can truly find that peace, for me anyway. And yeah. I see within our group so many people as well. It's like jumping into the deep end. Yeah, yeah. So get the 12 steps over and done with and then you can start properly your recovery after absolutely and some people shy away from that oh 12 steps i've got to write down you know all this stuff i did and explore it and unpick it yeah but surely you've put more effort into doing drugs i know i did there's more effort for me in staying up all night on drugs and then dragging your ass to work for the next 12 hours that's effort yeah that's hard that's hard that's that's (laughs) fucking hard right but doing steps understanding more about myself writing down anyone i've upset or my resentments and i found it like self-counseling you know there's a bit of admin there's a bit of work but through that process of the 12 steps i understood so much more about myself and and that kind of give me the, a bit more of a why because I could finally go ah oh, that's why I've been behaving like that mm. fuck me I didn't know I didn't know that's why I did that and you look at your defects yeah. and so I just found it a really cathartic uh, amazing process to go through and now connected to this group who are all about the solution you know you want recovery get in the group get a sponsor get your fucking steps done you know don't drag it out for twelve months being miserable and dipping in the rooms and you know what at the end of that. See how you feel. And everyone that does that in that way, they go, okay, now I feel better. I, I, I do feel better now. Actually, I've, I've found this new space of peace and happiness and I'm never going back to there again. Why would I? So it's it's been great, my group. But we've, since I then stopped the drugs, I noticed I had different effects after mentally. So I'm not going to say cravings because I do sometimes get cravings in certain situations. And that's why I have to leave and isolate myself away. So if I am out at the pub, I'll leave at half ten, because by twelve o'clock it's messy, and then it's I'm just gonna I'm just gonna get agitated and I'm gonna suffer. So, but with that, I'm also quite anxious. Like I get anxiety now, just for the fact of looking back at what I've done, or if I can't go down certain roads because certain roads is where my dealer is. So then you start getting anxious again. Yeah. I start panicking almost. So now I'm you know, taking like anxiety tablets and stuff like that just to kind of get back into the, the big wide world. But what about is it with yourself? Is there any other kind of defects that's come with the drugs? Anything that's almost impacted still? There's not really. I mean, over the years, because I've suffered with my mental health and my diagnosis is obsessive compulsive disorder, I'd built up a toolkit of stuff yeah. that kept me in a happy, healthy, well space. But there's always a missing piece of the puzzle. You know, there's all this stuff that I did. If I did enough of this and limit this, then my mental health is fairly balanced. But the missing piece of the puzzle for me was was recovery. It's almost put me in a state of mental well-being now, which is incredible. So I'm not saying I don't get, you know, different feelings, thoughts, behaviours that are troublesome, but going back to the 12 steps, there's a way of processing that. Mm. So if I get a resentment now, it could be someone's cut me up driving or an email that's upset me. Whereas before, my trigger would be to let that ruminate and grow. And then another resentment might happen. By Friday, I'm fucking wound up when I'm going to call it on. Now the process is if I get resentment, I have to share it, you know, verbalise it, tell someone else and direct my attention to helping someone else. So I'll ring someone who might need my support. I'll reach out to someone. It's almost like distraction, but a way of processing that resentment. So things do come up. You know, you're not now completely cured. You know, I'm going to be cured as an addict, but I'm in recovery if I do the things I've got to do. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think, isn't it? You do the 12-step program and then you're fine. You can just walk the streets and you're back to to your normal self. But... It's it's years, years of difficult 
self within tasks yeah. and it's years of goals to to get to a place where you're kind of comfortable and happy with yourself again I mean I, I think that's why a lot of the time I actually take the tablets as well is the fact that I'm not comfortable with what I did and who I did it to mm. so even still now I mean I mean I'm content but I'm not happy with it I'm, yeah. I'm still processing I'm still dealing with it but I think that's why I done the page was so then now that I can I've done my fair share of being a fuck up that now I can help other people and, yeah. and that's what gives me then almost like a purpose of well you was an addict so now you can do this yeah whereas if you told me you know when I was 21 and I was starting all of all of the drugs that I'd be helping people in in years time I would have told you to fuck off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're selfish addicts, aren't yeah. we? Fuck that, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Gonna, and yeah, I mean, it's great. You're using your experience to help other people. How incredible, how inspirational. And, you know, that's why I, how I found your page. Because a lot of people want to talk about addiction and mental health. And not everyone does it accurately or appropriately. But I found your page. And I was like, wow, this, this guy gets it. You know, you talk about it so honestly and accurately. And I love, you know, the podcast. You can pay me later. I do, I do. It's, <laughs> it's one of the ones I absolutely love. And it's a, you know, blessing to be here. But that's an inspirational thing to do. You know, use your, your struggle life journey to put it out there and hopefully yeah. help someone else not have as difficult a time. Yeah, because I've noticed that a lot of my um, messages are from people who want to stop drugs or are struggling in uh, recovery at the moment. So it's it's better to, uh, well, I find it better because of my therapist, is that it's easier to talk to someone who has actually gone through it themselves mm. rather than learn about it. Because that's that life experience that can give you the goals as to, because people then ask me, why did I stop? And how did I stop? So then I can give that back to them. And I'm sure people do the same thing for you, is that I'm in this position, what do I do? And because you've been there yourself, that you can relay everything that's worked for you to them. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's, it's that sharing, relatable experience. I've had more bad counselling and therapy than I've had good. And like you said, how can you learn about mental health if you haven't lived it? You know, yeah. How can you... You could do the most amazing academic qualifications in the world around addiction and you know struggles with mental health but unless it's a feeling unless you've felt yeah. that you know what it feels like i think it's it's missing a certain something so that's why we see a lot of success now in mental health support groups where it's groups of people talking about their lived experience and you look for the similarities not the differences and yeah you know, oh, that makes sense i've felt that way and oh what so how did you get over that what did you do oh, that won't work for me but what they shared would it's it's just all coming together to know we're not alone Let's help each other live in a happy, healthy space. Let's let's live in a space of kindness where we can all help each other along that journey. Yeah. So what um, groups are you with now? Because I know that you're doing so much to do with mental health. Is that I'm seeing you on all different kind of talk shows, all different kind of websites and stuff like that. So what, what is it that you're currently working on now? Oh, well, we are hummingbird. I've got a lot of love for them um, because they're so passionate about what they do, and and I think they've got such a key point. You know, why aren't we teaching this in schools? Why are we? I've always wanted to do that. Is, is going to colleges and schools and just talk about the fact that you know it's when you're older you may experience this, and you know that it's not going to be all bells and whistles when you leave school because no one teaches you that. Yeah, no one teaches you how how when you leave school you're going to feel shit at times. And no one like teaches how you're going to work with that. So getting mental health in a curriculum in school is going to be so important in the future, I feel. Yeah, 100%. You know, we do physical activity in school. So why not, you know, something around men mental health? You know, understanding thoughts, feelings, emotions and behaviours, it, it could be so so helpful and that's what really helped me is understanding what i was going through mm. you know trying to find out and work out why is it i felt this way or thought this so having that in schools i think is absolutely a space we need to move into the second space Definitely. we need to move into is making mental health first aid a legal requirement you know yeah. we've got a physical first aider you'll have one in this building if someone had a heart attack who's a physical first aider why haven't we got a mental health first aid as standard? The manifesto's been passed. It's just COVID's delayed it. Yeah. But at some point in the future, you're going to have to have your physical first aider and then your mental health first aider for you know, panic attacks, symptoms of depression, anxiety, things we're hearing loads about, but getting it in schools 
and making it a legal requirement, then suddenly the the awareness and the knowledge of the nation around this will, yeah. will increase and we can start to support each other, recognise that early intervention can lead to prevention, not waiting for crisis where there's no resource or yeah. a place for people to go until they've done something um, really I'm extreme. Sure it's too late. Yeah, that's it. It's too late then. And we know there's wait times and not enough resource out there. So why isn't this this approach um, proactive rather than reactive. Why are we yeah, letting definitely. people become more unwell than they should have to and then go, oh, okay, now we can help. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, the only reason why I kind of knew about drugs was on films and telly and stuff like that. So when I'm actually out there in the real world, after, you know, that I've done all my schooling life, my college life, is that now that I'm around it, I have no idea what it's going to do. And yeah. I have no idea what, what effects it's going to have on me. So then that gives you the curiosity. And the curiosity gets you into trouble. Yeah. So, you know, even with alcohol, we're not actually learnt it in school. We experience it. And that's when people then go, okay, alcohol's not for me or alcohol's fucking brilliant. So, it's, yeah, but you right. know, no one knows the after effects and the side effects of this kind of thing, even such as hangover. Yeah. Like, you don't know about it. You don't yeah. learn about it until you've actually experienced it. So it's like, um, definitely, we need to put it into schools. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we could sit here and put the world to rights, right, with the curriculum and stuff, but <laughs> I've never had to use Pi R squared ever. No. What I could have done with is a bit of financial responsibility. How yeah. about you don't get into fucking debt, Ryan? You know, your credit yeah. card will do this. <laughs> Let's learn that, not Pi R squared and, and all this other stuff. Let me learn about, you know, my mental health and good nutrition yeah. rather than, you know, some of the other topics that yeah. are kind of falling by the wayside. Maybe it's not fit for purpose in this modern age because this modern world's built to destroy us. Yeah, we need some armour against that, some knowledge, yeah. some empowerment. The same thing, haven't we? I know we're going a little bit off topic now, but from our drugs and stuff. But from going to, you know, just basic English, maths and science, I mean, even stuff like, um, you know, the IT, and no one ever gives you adult experiences and mm. adult choices. Like, like you said about the financial stuff. I, I never learned how to control money. No. And until in the end, I was like, fuck, I've got no money. Mum, can, I have, can yeah. I have a tenner? Yeah. So it's, you don't get taught any adult responsibilities. And no. with adult responsibilities, it comes with a lot of downfall. Yeah. And it comes with a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety, a lot of PTSD. And you said you have um, obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. In what kind of style is that? Um, it was intrusive thoughts mostly, but compulsions as well. So right. it started very early age, about the age of 12, you know, the typical one, turn the light switch on and off. Otherwise, if you don't, your parents would die. There'd be some horrific output to me not doing that. Yeah. And when you're that age, I said, say 12, that's my earliest memory. You think, why well, is this normal? Is it growing up? So you just do it. I'm not going to risk my parents dying if all yeah. that's I've got, to, you know, all I've got to do is that. Um, but that became progressively worse and worse over the years. But most of that suffering was unnecessary. It was a hands of stigma, judgment, and a lack of understanding. You know, even at a professional level back yeah. then, trying to get support, um, it just wasn't available. You know, I hope that anyone going through that now wouldn't suffer and struggle as much as I did because people are more aware. You know, they recognise yeah. the behaviours, the physical signs, the thoughts and emotions that went with that and get the person the support they needed. So it's been... Um, it's been a rough ride with regards to my own mental health. And that's why I do what I do. This is passion, not profit. You know? yeah, Biggest possible audience is just to hopefully reach someone who might be struggling themselves. And, yeah, and I mean, it's like the podcast. It doesn't matter if it, if it reaches a thousand people, one person, as long as yeah. it helps that one person. Absolutely. I'm more than happy just yeah. to carry on doing it. Yeah. Um, do you think, because I've been asked this before now, is that people are starting to open up more. And I've noticed that a lot of people are starting to be a bit more open with their mental health, you know, especially with the GPs and stuff like that. Is there the right amount of help out there for the people who are opening up? There's not, you know, we know that the wait times are huge. You know, if you go to your GP and ask for counselling or therapy, you know, it's not going to be immediately available, probably. Mm. It's a postcode lottery. It depends on the location and where budgets uh, have been invested and how trusts have spent the money. Um, but no, the help, the help isn't available. It needs to be 
more accessible and stigma still exists even yeah, at professional definitely. level i'll share my last experience with a new gp that kind of proves this and i've got the utmost respect for clinicians and gps but it shows that even at professional level there's still a lack of understanding so i went to a new gp um, because i changed location i had to change my surgery and there were two things I wanted to discuss with this GP. I had a mole that I wanted to get checked because right. having had cancer seven years ago, you've got to be quite vigilant with that sort of what thing. What was the cancer? Uh, testicular. Okay. Lost a bollock. My favourite bigger bollock was taken <laughs> from me. Don't mind sharing that with you, with you Eddie, on this podcast. <laughs> I'm like a human space opera. Yeah. <laughs> We're lucky this isn't a video cast. <laughs> we won't have this one on tape. <laughs> oh, do up your jeans. Do up your jeans. <laughs> So um, I wanted to discuss that and I wanted to consider going back onto medication for my obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. So I've gone in, new GP, I've sat down. He said, what have you come to talk to me about? I said, well, there's two things. He said, let me stop you there. Put his finger up in my face. He said, this is an emergency appointment. You can talk about one thing. And made me pick between my physical health and my mental health. Now, Jesus. of course, I raised a complaint. I used to be deputy manager for the NHS 111 service. So I don't want any of our friends or family having that experience. Mm. But if you think about people in your world who don't have the good understanding you've got around mental health, they might have come away from that and gone, well, I'm going to pick the mole. Maybe I just need to get on with the mental health struggle. No, no, you no, do not. No. no, you do not. No one should have to struggle with their yeah. mental health. So that was like 18 months ago. So it shows that even at a professional level, there still isn't that awareness, understanding and kindness around mental health, even with it being a, you know, spoken about topic and everyone's kind of pushing it now. And there is less stigma than maybe 10 years ago when it was associated with asylum, straitjackets, electroshock therapy, yeah. films like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. We've come a long way, but we just need to keep going. Yeah. I mean, you saying that about the GP is that I've obviously been getting my um, anxiety medication from there and I've actually upped them over time up the dosage um, but I'll keep putting in a repeat prescription no one's checking if I need it yeah you know, yeah, you know I'm yeah. not having a meeting to be like well do you yeah. want to start reading off them a little bit or we'll go back to your original dosage Let's just see how you're doing, you know, functioning on a day-to-day. Yeah. Day. You might not actually need to be taking this anymore. No one's actually checking up. That's it. You're I, running, I'm just allowed, right? I'm, I'm allowed to take it, so I'm taking it. Yeah. yeah. But, but at the same time, I do feel like I'm a little bit scared to come off it. Yeah, well, you know what? If you had that conversation with someone who fully understood it, then you could start to withdraw gradually, you know, reduce yeah. the dosage 10 mil, five minute at a time. I don't know what the dosages are, but... But then have that regular contact and meeting. Say, right, we've reduced you down to this. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What are the upsides? What's the downsides? Where are you at the moment? Yeah. And withdraw, you know, under clinical supervision in the right way, rather than just, you know, there's your repeat, there's your repeat. Yeah. Just keep collecting it. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. And we see, we saw that trend as well, where people would go to see a professional, talk about a mental health struggle. And, you know, they've got on average eight minutes to see each each patient. You know, they're under pressure as well. There's no judgment here in any of this. Like I said, no. I've got the utmost respect for everyone clinical. Um, but there has been a trend of, uh, there's your medication. And I'm drawn off work. Fit note. And that medication can make the person feel more horrific yeah. than ever before, before they start to come up. And work might be the only social interaction they have. And we know yeah. socialising, talking, being out around people is healthy. So yeah. that might be exactly the wrong journey of recovery for someone. I mean, when I first started taking the tablets, I felt so much worse yeah. in the first probably about month. Until then, I started to feel better. But even with them months of feeling uh, that month of feeling worse, you don't then want to take the tablets because you're like, why am I taking this? This is making me feel shit. Yeah. But no one told me about the fact I'm going to feel worse. That's they were it. just like, well, I think you need this. And then here's a prescription. See you later. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, I understand, you know, because my mum works as a practice manager in a doctor's surgery. Mm. So I understand how under pressure they are. But it's hard for them to find that that 20 minute gap where they can actually just talk to you about yeah. what it is that's going on um, because they just haven't got the time they're understaffed that's it yeah. so, so it is quicker and easier just to be like okay well I think you need this see you later and, yeah. and there you go yeah, it's course. difficult at the moment. It is. It is difficult. It, 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 they, you know, they do a great job give, giving the resource and money spent. I suppose that's where it's down to the governments yeah. to give them more time, more resource, uh, more money. But going back to your point about, you know, if you had that knowledge of, look, you're going to take these, you might feel worse than ever. So why you're going through the first two weeks or a month, you know, here's some information on exercise. 
because that's clinically proven to be as effective for mild yeah. to moderate depression and anxiety as some medication. Here's some information about meditation, again, proven. You know, speak to people when you're feeling like all this information or this toolkit that you can adopt and apply to get through this difficult time, potentially, that you've been made aware of, rather than there's your tablets. Yeah. Good luck. See you in a month. But that's, that's <laughs> why I don't want to come off them. Yeah. It's that if I do need to go on them again at some point, I've then got to do that month process of feeling terrible so it's then goes back to being like our antidepressants addictive like you you know i mean it's it's all different kind of avenues of to to wheel you away from it because it shouldn't just be we're going to take five milligrams off we're going to take 10 milligrams off you need the therapy as well with it to then understand why you're feeling that way and it is because of the medication this isn't because of you yeah yeah i mean it's lucky for the fact for me because my mum works in the nhs so um, she could actually guide me through it and be yeah. like, so how are you feeling this week? I, I notice you're a bit quiet and I'm just, I'm just having a quiet day. But she knows that it's because of the medication. Yeah. But so, so, so yeah, with the, I get that it's difficult and it is hard for the GPs out there. And like you said, they do amazing jobs. They do, they do. We, they just haven't got the resources. They haven't, they haven't got the resources. And then I suppose you've got the other side of it where some people, um, some generations even, will say things like oh, i'm not taking medication for my mental health you know mm. tablets for the mind no way you know my, yeah. my my dad um bless him he was one of those people he's like uncomfortable with it that generational gap or difference in understanding you know i'm more likely to talk about mental health than my dad he's kind of stuck in the middle my great granddad would have been like what are you talking about yeah, my, get on with it. yeah great great granddad would probably give me a clip around the ear and said never <laughs> say that again it's weak <laughs> but there's certain groups who don't believe in medication for your mind but yeah. you know we wouldn't let someone walk around with a broken leg. Like, if you need some medication to give you that uh, starting point, you know, show you the first stair of the staircase, so you can start to climb up. There's no, there should be no stigma around medication for mental health. It's, no. it's a, a disease, an illness, however you want to capture it, just like anything else. And medication can really help with that. I mean, I've had medication on and off over the last 25 years for my mental health. You know, sometimes. I've just stopped, which is the wrong thing to do. And then at the minute, I've managed to withdraw gradually with clinical intervention. And I found this space where I've got enough in my toolkit that if I do enough of this good stuff and leave all the other stuff alone, like drugs and alcohol, then I don't currently need to medicate. But there might be a point in time when I choose to medicate again. It depends. Yeah. But but there's, you can't self-medicate on these tablets. You, you can't be having like a, a bad day and be like, okay, no. well, I'll just take a couple. No, no, it's got to be a consistent... It, yeah, yeah, it has to be a cycle. Yeah, definitely. Because they definitely. take so long to kick in. Yeah. So, but then psychologically, do you then feel better because you've taken the tablets? I mean, there's, there's some days before at work where I remember at night I didn't take a tablet. So I'm meant to feel shit. Got you. And then, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so then I'll have a day at work where I'll just be like, do you know what, just leave me to it. I ain't taking tablets. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. It's in your but, system, yeah. right? It's in yeah. your system doing but, its thing. But and... mentally, I feel, yeah, like I, yeah. I feel like I should be down because I haven't taken my uh, pills. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. It's that coping strategy, isn't it? I haven't taken it. Oh, no, straight away now I'm thinking I'm going to have a bad day. Yeah, yeah, doesn't I'm going like to have that. a bad day. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very difficult. But uh, like with your... Um, with your drugs now, you're on that such a, a better path, and it's so glad to actually see you healthy. From from when I actually first saw you on on Human, yeah, I was like, oh, this guy looks like he's had it a bit hard. I was a broken man. <laughs> yeah. I was a broken man. I don't think I could even speak on there the first few times, and then I think I did share a few things. But yeah, you, you could tell, and um, that's why I re- you know it was, I thought it was really kind when you reached out and and we connected. Because, again, you've kind of been in that space. You saw something in me yeah. and thought, ooh, I think I know where he's at. Let yeah. me see how I can help. And started listening to your podcast. So, you know, the rest is history. I'm here now, which is great. Yeah. So, thank you for being a part of my recovery, I, oh, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Oh, that's really kind of you. Oh, I don't know how to take that. Thank you. <laughs> no, honestly, you know, it did. It did help. I've sat and I've listened to podcasts before. And... Um, some of the things people said, some of the questions you asked, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not alone then. In this, yeah, I thought I, mean, I was alone. Yeah, but. that's the whole point in it is that you know it might not be for everyone, but it might be for one person. Yeah, and you know, one person might not agree with what I'm with what I'm saying, but then another person might go, well, I'm actually feeling that as well. Yeah. So yeah. you know, it, all the mental health stuff that we do, it doesn't reach out to everyone. It's never no. going to reach out to everyone. Yeah. Because everyone has different experiences, but as long as it helps that one person. 
Yeah, definitely. Then that's what matters. But then, um, is a selfless deed a good deed? Ooh, I don't know. That's because we're doing something good. Yeah. And um, we're doing the podcast. We're, do, we're doing, you're doing your page and stuff like that. But are you doing it for you? Oh, I'm doing it for other people. Uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously going to be some benefits to me. Yeah, you know, that's what it's I mean. any like, completely I've, selfless act. Yeah, but so I feel good when I'm helping people. Yeah, yeah. So is it... It's, it's weird, isn't it? It's, it's like, proven. It's a proven technique for mental health, you know, by caring for others. It has a positive influence over neurotransmitters, brain chemicals. Mm. So, you know, we do get something out of it. Yes, but, it's that feel-good feeling. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I want to make it as selfless as possible. Like I said, this is, this is passion, not profit for yeah. me and you. And like you said, you know, spending an hour with a mate in a studio, if it reaches one person who is struggling and it means something to them, then what a blessed way of spending the time. Yeah. So finally, Ryan, if someone came up to you saying that they were struggling with drugs, they've been an addict now for five years, what do you say to them? I'd listen to them non-judgmentally because we've all got a different story and it's person-centred. You know, I'm not going to say I've got the answers for everyone, but I'd share my journey and my experience and... If that connects with them, then I'd say, come over, join my my CA group, have a look, see what you think, see if it's for you. Hopefully, they'd see all these recovered people sharing their journeys, and they'd realise that you know recovery is likely, it's possible, and it's not getting used to being miserable. You can replace addiction with something far better, which is life. Yeah, that's really good. Like I said, I'm really proud of you. Ninety odd days. Of being sober and clean, absolutely amazing. Never knock how many days it is. Count every day is a blessing. Well done to you. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a, it's been a pleasure having you. I know we've tried to get this here for a while, but I'm glad we finally done it. Oh, I mean, like I say, it means a lot to be here, Eddie, and you have played a part in my recovery. I love your podcast. I love what you're about. Just keep up the great work. So thank you for having me on. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening as well. And as always, stay positive together listening to Eddie uh, into the mind.